0: We titled that sermon, Getting Schooled with Heidi Pagels. And so Heidi was schooling me on what Epiphany was all about. And then the next week, she made me take a quiz. And then I had to kind of manage on my own for a couple of weeks (laughs) and figure out how to teach this to kids and different things like that. So I've been learning all kinds of stuff about Epiphany as we've gone. And uh, now the tables have turned. And so. Heidi, I'm wondering uh, what you remember of Epiphany and what it's all about, and if you could give us a recap and let's see if you remember all the things since you've been doing other things the last couple of weeks.
1: Okay, let's see. And if I, if I miss something, you can help me out. Or you guys can help me out.
0: You have to give her a score <laughs> 1 to 10 when she's done. No,
1: don't do that. I'm a recovering perfectionist. Please don't. <laughs> um, so Epiphany is actually a season of the church. And here at Pullman Force where we've been at, uh, learning and enjoying the calendar of the church and following it. And um, so epiphany comes after Christmas. And there's actually 12 days of Christmas. So and then it's epiphany. And I actually learned, that I didn't know this in the beginning, that some churches celebrate epiphany for one day. Some churches celebrate epiphany for six weeks. And some people do it all the way up until Lent. So technically, a lot of the church practices epiphany for six weeks. And then I love it's called ordinary time. And half of the church calendar is ordinary time. And why I love that is because so much of life is simply ordinary, right? It's the ordinary things that you just have to do. And God meets us there. As you're brushing your teeth, as you're making your decisions, as you're um, talking to the people you love, it's, it's ordinary time. So Epiphany kind of has, uh, has some themes that I think are so perfect for this time of year. And it has some main stories. And the main stories of Epiphany, there's three of them. And the first one is that, because it comes right after Christmas, so it's the wise men, the star, because they come right after the birth. And Epiphany, the star, was a sign for all people. And it's a reminder to us each year that Christ comes for all all people. We start there. It's for everybody. You don't have to look like us. You don't have to act like us. Christ is for all people. He came to the wise men to show that because um, what we learned when Jamie and I were doing our research and studying is that they were actually probably more like astrologers and maybe like new agey. And so God is going out to all people, not just the people who we think he would come to. Um, then the next story was the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that was a sign for the Jews. Like, hey, Jesus is not just a teacher. This is the Messiah. This is something different. Pay attention. When the dove came down, the introduc- the introduction of the Holy Spirit in a way that was tangible that they could see. And then the next story in the epiphany stories is turning, which Jamie did last week with the kids. Was that last week? Sometimes don't weeks feel super long and sometimes they fly by. That feels like a month ago. Um, he did the story, which is so good, so well of the turning the um, water to wine. And that story was a sign just for Jesus's friends, for those closest to him, for those at the wedding. Um, for his disciples and Mary, that he was more than just a teacher and that he was the son of God. And they saw this sign. This was his first sign, which we tend to call a miracle. You preached on that. What was your, what was your main, I'm trying to remember your, help me out here. You had, (laughs) why are you doing that? That's not helpful. Blink, blink, blink.
0: (laughs) Sometimes there's this big hole in my memory and there's a gigantic hole sitting there right now.
1: Sometimes I think when I'm preaching like weeks in a row and I'll be like, what did I speak on last week? There's no way anybody else remembers. (laughs) That's so humbling. I remember (laughs) I
0: think that God takes ordinary things Mm -hmm. and he's working in ordinary things like you and me. And he's doing it in really ordinary and unseen places like closets. That's what
1: it was about. Right. Okay, in the back with the servants at the wedding. With, yeah, there it yeah. is. So, and then the theme, the amazing theme of Epiphany or is, is light. In the darkest time of the year, there's the star, and it brings the light, the light of Christ. So the stories focus around the light. Um, and this light that we carry, we carry it with us. So the stories of Epiphany also remind us that I have this light in me of Christ, and I carry it with me as I go, and so another theme is actually like living out. It's called outreach. You just, here I am, this is the light I carry as I interact with the people that I rub shoulders with, live with, talk with. So that's a nutshell.
0: Yeah, I think the only thing you didn't say was what is an epiphany? Oh,
1: <laughs> an epiphany is when you all of a sudden understand something that you just didn't get. And a lot of times something that was already, already there, right? It was already there in front of you. You just didn't get it. I think of it like the story of Paul. Like he, and it's kind of strange, he was blinded so that he could see. So sometimes we're blind, and then there comes a point where, oh, okay. God does that first as we're ready. As we're open, he shows us. He gives us little glimpses of epiphany.
0: And so now we're going to move it out of those three stories and into uh, the teachings of Jesus, which in themselves were kind of an epiphany. Mm-hmm. Um, it was an epiphany to the people that he was teaching them to, kind of shocking. There's some things in here that... Uh, don't add up in our culture, don't add up in our world. Um, but I think the people that were around him already had come. You know, we'd had these multiple epiphanies, these moments of like, oh, and then Jesus is teaching. Um, so today we're actually going to do a sermon from the Sermon or a sermon on the Sermon of the Mount, on the Mount, say that again, a sermon on the Sermon on the Mount, <laughs> which is really confusing because this is like the best sermon ever written. Yeah, I mean, seriously, this is the best sermon ever given. And now Heidi and I had the unenviable task of doing a sermon based on part of this most amazing sermon ever. So we want to set our expectations low right from the get-go. We are not going to be as good at Jesus as this. Uh, thankfully, you know, we, we, we seek to be like Jesus, but we never become Jesus. Um, so I usually get closer to David or, or m- not even Moses, like David mostly, I think. <laughs> like I'm constantly messing up, but I love you anyway, God. Uh, so this sermon is pretty cool, though, because um, we're echoing Moses. And Moses in the Old Testament, he takes the people and, he, you know, God leads him out of Israel or out of I'm sorry, Egypt into the desert. Moses goes up to this mountain alone. And he comes back and he gives this massive sermon and that's called the book of Deuteronomy and Leviticus and some of Exodus, like the most boring parts of the whole Bible were Moses' sermon. We're going to be more like that. Um, <laughs> His sermon was a bunch of do's and don'ts, and like thou shalt and thou shalt nots, and when this happens, do this, and when that doesn't happen, do this instead, and it's really boring and really hard to understand. So Jesus actually echoes that. He goes up to a mountain alone and he comes down and he gives this sermon. And his sermon was full of life, full of hope. And it wasn't just do's and don'ts, but it was something very, very different. And so that's what we're going to be teaching on is this sermon on the mountain, specifically the Beatitudes today. Um, But there's this idea, and you mentioned it earlier, uh, you used this word open, that we need to come open to this text. Do you want to expand on that?
1: Sure. As I was reading the story of the Sermon on the Mount, the word open just kind of kept sitting there in my mind, and I realized that you could not have heard this message. We cannot hear this message if we're closed. Throughout the sermon, Jesus says, you've been taught this. You've been taught this, but I say this to you. And so I realized, unless we're open, we're going to be like, no, that's not what I've been taught. That's not how I think. That's not how the world works. And these people were open. I think it's important for us to, to, we've talked about this before, look at who was Jesus giving this sermon to? He wasn't giving it to us. He wasn't giving it to middle class people in Washington, eastern Washington. He was giving this to a bunch of people who were they were like the disinherited. The Jews of that time were ruled by another group of people. Uh, They were, I've been reading Howard Thurman for my soul formation program, and he says the Jews were actually kind of equivalent to the African American at that time. Uh, So when he says Jesus' message, he says to the African American, is for us, because the Jews, their lives were like ours. So if you can imagine, because we've grown up hearing, if you can imagine Jesus sharing this to an African-American and how that would sound in their ears, what that would feel like and how it would be different than ours, I invite you to do that today. It's written to the people who their backs are up against a wall. They're they're a little bit desperate, right? They're they're already desperate. And so they're the people who are already mourning. They're already grieving. They're already meek. They're already there, and this message is, is for them. And so I, I invite us today as we hear this to imagine, to imagine ourselves in that position and to see if we can remain open where we might find it easier to be closed.
0: I think it's a lot like the church, the people that were gathered here, like our church even today. There's many of us whose backs are against the wall, Um, There's some of us that are open because of that. There's some of us that are open because we had an epiphany from God. Um, And then there's some of us that just were closed. And so we pray, that's our prayer this morning, that you would all be open um, as we engage with this radical teaching of Jesus. Do you want to read the text? Yeah,
1: I would. All right, Matthew 5, 1 through 12. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down... Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you.
0: Well, when I hear those words, I think those are not the sort of blessings I want. I don't know about you guys, but these are like, being persecuted is not a blessing that I want. And none of these blessings are really the blessings that we typically hear about in our modern world. When we talk about blessing, we talk about something different entirely. And it's, it's really, it's a very upside down system. These, these uh, blessings that Jesus is talking about here are in a, very, in a real sense prophetic. And what I mean by that is that they speak of the way things were intended to be and the way God is making things rather than the way they are. That's what a prophecy is. It's, it's like there's these two, there's a world out here, and then there's this thing that, that God is doing over here and creating, and a prophet looks into that window and sees this other space and speaks it in this one. Does that make sense? So that's what these are. They, these, these blessings really speak against the formulas for happiness and contentment in our world. It says that real contentment and real joy in life is found through God's indwelling in us. It's it's when God comes into us and births something new, even in un, unpleasant circumstances. Uh, I like how Richard Rohr said it. This will be the only quote I bring today. So we're going to put it on the screen because it's actually good enough that you need to just process this a little bit, okay? So Richard Rohr, he's a he's a Franciscan monk, so he gets to wear the, the brown, uncomfortable robes. Um, but he's really, really sharp guy, and he loves Jesus. And this is what he has to say. He says, this is the world I was born into. It is preoccupied with domination and status quo logic and finds itself incapable of understanding much less believing most of the clear teaching of Jesus poverty meekness tears justice mercy pure purity of heart peacemaking persecution these are his coming his opening statements but try to get elected in the Christ, in a christian country while following those teachings right just try running for president and, and living out those things and see how far that gets you. Because this isn't the system that we live under. And yet God is doing a new thing among us. And when we live these things out, when we hear Jesus speak, then we are hearing him speak prophetically of what he's trying to do.
1: So growing up when I read, would read this, blessed are the meek, blessed are the, those who mourn. But I would try to be these things. Like a try harder. Like, oh, if I can just be a little more meek. If I can just mourn a little bit more. If I could just, and I was missing the point. What Jesus is saying is when you are mourning, when you are meek, you don't have to try harder. But he's saying, I include those people. And can you imagine like he's saying, I'm throwing out blessings to you. Even when life is so hard, you can be content. So it's not a let me try to be more. Let me let me. But when you are, when life finds you in that space where you just are grieving, when you just are mourning, you can really find my contentment, which is probably an easier word for us to get than happy or blessed.
0: And that bird blessed is troublesome. I, I just kind of wonder if you could all put down your bags for a second. You're like, wait a minute, what bag? we're all carrying cultural baggage, right? We're, we're carrying our understanding of what this word blessed means. And we're like reading the scripture and it's, we're like looking right through the lenses of what we've been taught blessing means. Um, and so you know we, it's kinda got this chicken soup for the soul, sticky, sweet feeling to it. And, or it's got, been like totally wrecked by prosperity gospel. I am blessed when I'm healthy. I am blessed when I am wealthy. I am blessed when all things are going well. And when things aren't going well, we go, well, I'm still blessed because my bank account is okay. And we look at the, the, the prosperity part of our lives and say that part is the blessing, but the other parts are not. And Jesus is really throwing a wrench into things here. Um, blessing here really means joy and deep contentment. And I want to get our hearts around this idea of being blessed, because for the first century Jews, they thought that being blessed meant that this was carrying out God's blessing from the beginning of time, that they would be the chosen people. And it does mean that. But Jesus is actually saying, look, there is great happiness and deep contentment that comes to us, to all of us, when God births something new in us, when God indwells us and comes to us and gives us a gift that we can only receive. That's the blessing that we're talking about here. A blessing is a gift that we receive when God comes and dwells in our lives. And it's not just the prosperity, good, happy stuff. This is like real nitty-gritty hard stuff. Like in the middle of things, we get this blessing that comes to us. So hopefully we can hold on to that. Um, And we're going to go through the Beatitudes a little bit. and. The, the thing is, when people preach on this, though, often we lose the forest for the trees because we get so caught up in the little things. Remember the blessing that God is birthing something new in each of you. And we have all these different circumstances. Um, and so I guess you want to kick it off and start the path. We're going through the path of the Beatitudes here a little bit.
1: Sure. So we're going to go through the Beatitudes as we reflected and prayed and learned about them this week. And we want to invite you, encourage you to listen. Like, which, which, where's God? What's God leading you to think about, to ponder, to process? So the first one is porn spirit. And I have always read that and, like, I don't, I don't know what that means. I, I don't know what porn spirit means. So I ha- that's one I had, I had to go search. I'm like, what does this mean? What does this mean in Greek? And porn spirit, it's an inner attitude of receptivity and an openness One is blessed, content, because only in this this state is it possible to receive anything. It's those of us who know that we have a need. There's something in us that says, I I need. I need God. I need a Savior. Instead of what a lot of us are still like a toddler, and we say, I do it myself. Have you ever heard a little kid do that? They stomp their, I'll do it myself. I, I got this. And I think a lot of times we can do that, I got this. I can do it myself. And then when your life falls apart, and you come to the point where you're like, I can't actually do this. I actually really need your help. That's the poor in spirit. It's those who don't have it all together. Uh, Next is meekness. Oh, mourn. I wanted to skip that one. Just kidding. Um, Blessed are those who mourn. What does it say? Blessed are those who mourn because they, I can't read that, (laughs) because they they will be comforted. Um, Mourning is indeed a brutal emptiness, but in this emptiness, if we can remain open, we discover a mystery, the mystery of the Trinity who comes to comfort us. When I was thinking of mourning this week, I was thinking of, of a loss of someone who died because we have someone who is dear to us had died. And when you're, when you're willing to mourn, then you experience God coming to you in a way that you couldn't have imagined. But there's also other mournings that we're invited to. We're invited to mourn when life is not going the way we thought it would. That happens to us at some point. All of us, some some earlier, some 30, some 40. And you're like, this is not the way this was supposed to go. This was supposed to look a little bit different than this. And we're invited to mourn it, to grieve it, to be open, to let God come in in the mystery and make what he wanted of us in the first place. Or to mourn our sin, to mourn our humanness. Sometimes it becomes so overwhelming. You see yourself for who you are. There's just moments when you're like, Whoa, this is who I am. And you can mourn it and be open and let the mystery, who is the Trinity, come in and comfort you. Blessed are the meek. It's another word that I was like, I don't don't really get that word. That one doesn't really make sense to me. Because in our culture, I think of it as like someone who's going to get squashed on. Like, blessed are the meek. Oh, you walk around like this. Uh, This is the word I found over and over again that best suits meek. Gentle. And that still might be a little hard for you, but I love that word. Blessed, and even better, the gentled. Blessed are the gentle. The gentled. They will inherit the earth. And I think sometimes what looks like on the outside, the people that inherit the earth, are the strong, the abrasive, the loudest. Who has the loudest voice? Who has the most? And in God's kingdom, he says, those of you who have been gentled. And gentled is a choice that we choose when hard things come. We can let God come and be with us. There's a harshness, I think, in all of us in some ways. I think it looks a little different, but I think there's a harshness or sharpness in us. And the Holy Spirit can come in those hard times, and you can be gentled, It was just still strength. It's a strength. Or you can become more abrasive, and you become more harsh. Um, When I also used to read this Sermon on the Mount, and I was confused about the kingdom of heaven. Like, I realized, I don't understand what this kingdom of heaven is. So the kingdom of heaven they're talking about is here and now. It's not just heaven There's actually a kingdom that's going on right here, right now, that sometimes is hard to see, and maybe many people don't. But God rules over it from here and from then. And so God will comfort us now. God will gentle us now. God will help us be open now and not just someday, someday way out in the future.
0: The next one is is the hunger and thirst for righteousness. And, you know, growing up, that word righteousness... Uh, really, it turned into self-righteousness, right? We hunger and thirst to do the right things at the right time so that we look good for God and for other people. But that's not what this is talking about. The word righteousness, you could equally throw the word justice there. It's, it's that the world is right, that things are as they should be. This is what we hunger and thirst for. And he uses these words, hunger and thirst. Like These are the core needs of a human being, right? We, we, can, we can fast for a time which means to give up food. That's something that some Christians do following the pattern of Jesus. But like 40 days is an outside limit of what a human can go without food, and we still have to have water. Our deepest core needs in this body is food and water. And Jesus is saying, those people who long for, who hunger and thirst, just like you do for food and water, but for justice, that that the world would be right in creation, that, that the things of weather and and you know, trees and all these things and water would all work together as it should, that our relationships with one another would work as they're supposed to, rather than having conflict and division and brokenness between us, that our own souls would be able to connect with God without barriers. That's true justice, that things are right. And that is what he is inviting us to. He's saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. But here's this crazy thing is that we can't work that up in ourselves. We can't hunger and thirst. It's like if with food, if we give up food for you know, one meal, we've increased our hunger. Not too difficult, right? But it doesn't really work that way. I've, You know what? I'm going to increase my hunger and thirst for righteousness by skipping church this week. It doesn't work that way. It's God who works in us to create this hunger. So it's this weird cycle that God works in us to make us hungry. So when we want at our deepest, deepest levels, that's God moving and working in you. Sometimes people are like, you know, our pastors, pastors, like they're talking to both of us and nobody ever says that, but I, I'm, I want more of God. But I don't see God. And it's in the wanting and the longing that we go, oh look, but that desire, that came from God.
1: When I was reading this, I saw the word yearn. It was translated as the word, those who yearn for God's righteousness. Uh, I thought of a story when I, when I was reading this, and I wanted to share it with you, and I remember it. So a number of years ago, maybe five or six now, a grad student came to Bible study for the first time. And I won't share his name because I didn't ask him if I could. But we were sitting down and we were sharing prayer, prayer, you know, just sharing your prayers. And he said, I have gone to church my entire life. I went to a Bible college. He said, "I want to experience God. I want to feel God. I've never felt God. All I know is everything up in my head." And I knew. I knew that that prayer that he put out there was from God, and I knew that I was going to watch that happen. And we we did. Those of us who knew, we watched him it grow in his faith. We watched him feel. We watched him experience God, and I thought of that. Those who hunger and thirst, God put that in him, and I knew God would answer it, and often that's my prayer for this community. God, may they long for you. May they yearn for you. May I long for you, because uh, he He fills it. He gives it, and he fills it.
0: I heard a, like a, mm, and a, uh, at the same time, as you started to tell that story, and I just kind of feel like I didn't want to pass the moment and recognize that that story sparked in some of you a hunger and thirst that you were unaware of, and that was the Holy Spirit speaking to you. It wasn't a good sermon, and it wasn't a good story. It was God. Pay attention, okay? Have your eyes open to hear what God's doing. That was, uh, did you feel it? I don't know if you I, felt I, it. I heard. Yeah, I heard. I was like, whoa, there it is. Um, Blessed are the merciful. This is a, a kind of an odd one to me, but as I studied the, the structure of this passage, it became clear, and I kind of talked about this in the beginning, the two sermons, right? Moses going up on the mountain, meeting with God and coming back and giving the most boring sermon ever. Jesus going up on the mountain and coming back and giving this, which is so different and so full of life. And it occurred to me that in a way, you know, you got the Bible kind of in two halves, you know, one's a little bit bigger than the other, but it's roughly Old Testament, New Testament. The Christian life is kind of divided that way, too. We come to faith in Jesus, and when we start out, we're just trying to figure out how do we how do we live this life? And so we get a lot of do's and don'ts, right? Uh, we do pray, but we don't go and get smashed every night. You know, we, we, we do, uh, Ever. what? Ever. Ever? Ever. <laughs> Not every Not every night. We, we, we do, you know, we, so we have all these do's and we have these don'ts. And then, uh, like, the outside critique of the church is like, oh, you guys are so stodgy and so full of do's and don'ts and so boring. But we are really just trying to follow God and figure out how it works. In that space, it is extremely easy to become judgmental, to become judgy of people who are outside of the church, outside of Christianity, who are not doing the do's and don'ts, Easy, easy, even easier. In fact, easier than anybody realizes to be judgy of yourself for not measuring up to all the do's and don'ts. We're always expecting more. We're always expecting better. We're always expecting to grow and to get it right this time. But Jesus comes. Okay, so that's that first step. That's that Moses story. But Jesus comes and brings something different. In the second half of our Christian life, as we mature and we grow, we begin to discover this beautiful word that Heidi prayed over the church this morning, which is freedom. (laughs) It's freedom from the desires that wind us up in those do's and don'ts. And it's freedom to live out in grace and to give ourselves grace, to give grace when we fail. And to give grace to others when they fail, and to give grace to those that don't know anything about God, and to love them anyway, and to show mercy instead of judgment. That's blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Now, there's this weird, okay, there's, we talk about, like, with our relationship with God, it is not a one for one. It's not, I do something for God, he does something for me. And yet, there are a few times in scripture where Jesus specifically says, like, here, when you are merciful, you will receive mercy. And it, it, reminds, it reminded Heidi and I of the universe. Yeah, like You hear people uh, that aren't Christians, that don't believe in God, say this all the time. You put good things out in the universe, and you get good things back. It's this immutable law that God actually created, that when we are merciful to other people, we receive in kind very often from other people, and we receive it from God. Jesus also says, Forgive your debtors, right? Forgive those who sin against you, and God will forgive you. There is, there is a sense in which it's true, but it's not the universe doing it. This is God the Father that is doing it. And so we enter into this as we grow in grace and we give grace, as we grow in mercy, we give mercy, we receive it in return. Do you have anything to add to that? No, you do Okay, I, okay, I got it. Um, blessed are the pure in heart. Who are the pure in heart? Pure in heart are the people that have been forgiven. The people that are pure in heart have been set free. You know, the purity that we receive from God is not a a thing that radically changes the world. You know, that's that judgmentalism again, right? I am pure, and you are not pure. I have been changed, but you have not been changed. And we're like, I don't cuss, I don't drink, I don't chew, I don't smoke, and I don't date people that do. I mean, that was like the rhyme they taught us when we were kids. Because that's what it is to be pure in heart. But it's not. It's not. The purity that this is talking about is that God has cleansed us on the inside. He has cleansed our souls and made us right with Him. And the result of that is that there is this beautiful connection between the heart and the eye, the E-Y-E, eye. There's this connection that when your heart is right, you see right. When you have a pure heart, you are able then to see God when the heart is right, Jesus says, the seeing will be right. And he ties heart and sight together. So when you think about beauty is in the eye of the beholder, it's the same thing with God. When our hearts are pure, we are able to see God. He is the reward for his forgiveness is the experience of being in his presence. we got a couple more, mm-hmm. and you're going to tackle these, or some of them.
1: Some of them. Blessed are the peacemakers. Peacemakers are brave. It's not false peace. It's a true peace, which actually requires you to say things sometimes in a kind way. I think in the church we've said we keep peace, which means we keep our mouths shut until we can't. And then what sometimes happens is we explode and vomit on the people that we love the most because we couldn't. Blessed are the peacemakers, not false peace, true peace. And that sometimes takes work because we don't know how to do it. It takes time to really have the conversations that you need to have. I think some of us tend to keep our mouths quiet and not talk. That's probably more me. And that's not true peace. Sometimes I'll have, to, I'll have thoughts in my mind or in my heart that are not peaceful. Peacemaking is brave. Also, if you say, this might not sound nice. This might be rude. I just have to speak my mind. It is rude. You also need to learn how to be a peacemaker. It's the opposite spectrum. I've heard this, um, I, just ha- I just speak my mind. You'll just have to forgive me. Uh, that's kind of just being a jerk. I'm just going to be frank. And you, you have the opposite You've got to learn how to say things. You've got to find the skills. You've got to learn. Some of them are from EHS. It's taken me forever. To be a peacemaker is a lot of work. It's a lot of work. It's a lot. It's brave. Either end, to open your mouth and say what you need to say or to shut your mouth and stop being a jerk.
0: Yeah, because blessed are the meek, those who have been gentled. Yeah, so, Gentle. Yeah. It's kind of weird because these are all like tied up together. You can't be like, well, I'm a peacemaker and not be meek. You know? It's like God's doing both in you. So remember that when you talk to us.
1: When we talk to and you. And when know? we talk to you. We're working on learning.
0: We are. We're, We're learning. I'm getting better. <laughs> I'm in recovery. Hmm. Uh, persecuted yeah, for persecuted. righteousness.
1: You know what I thought of? I thought of middle school when I thought of persecuted for doing right. Middle school is a hard place. Amelia's at camp with another person right now. Middle school is really hard. Kids in high school are really mean. And I thought of, blessed are you when you see someone else being mean and you are brave enough to stand up for yourself and stand up for other people. Because I think When you are a follower of Jesus and you were in middle school and you were in high school, you see things. And as adults, too. But God puts things on your heart in college. And when you're brave enough to say something, blessed are you. God sees.
0: It's interesting that it's connected right after peacemakers. Blessed are you when you see something that is wrong in the world. When you see that this is not the way God intended things to be, that our relationships are broken, that the world is broken, that our how, whatever it happens to be, and you stand up and you do something, when you put yourself on the line for the sake of justice and righteousness, whether it's at middle school, at the mm-hmm. lunch table, um, or whether it's in your voting, and then you get picked on because of it, that that's the kind of the big thing that people come at you because it, because of it you get the kingdom of heaven. That is what you receive because you are bringing the kingdom of heaven to that place in which you are doing justice. It is a beautiful picture and it is a hope that we hold on to that gives us courage because we don't go into it alone. We've got all of heaven with us as we go to that lunch table and sit with somebody who's alone. The last one is... The blessed are you when you were reviled, persecuted, and falsely accused because of Jesus. Mm-hmm. You've got some thoughts about that. <laughs>
1: I don't know if I should say him.
0: Should she say him?
1: We're we're not we're not persecuted here really, guys. <laughs> we're really not. I mean, if you look at you look at the voice of the martyrs, you look at the, we might be. You might have have been, you might have experienced once or twice, but I just think we need to be honest. And it's not that super hard to be. A Christian here. And I think sometimes Christians create things that have them be persecuted and they're just not... How do you say that?
0: She's playing the line on the peacemaker, isn't she? Between not <laughs> saying something and saying something mean. She's trying to say it in the middle.
1: With I her... think that sometimes Christians make up things that they're being persecuted about and they're not really being persecuted. I think it was really awesome when Stephen came. He's Nigerian, and he's, he's been persecuted. People actually are persecuted for going to church here. And I love, in Africa, how he could say things, and I'm like, oh, I just want to say that. Wearing a mask, he said, to go to church is very inconvenient, and we might have had different political ideas about it, and it might have drove some of you crazy, but it's not being persecuted. It's not being persecuted. And there's other things that happen in this community, around us, in churches, and they say they are being persecuted, and they're not. They're not being persecuted. When they take our kids, when they throw us in prison, when other things happen, then we can, then we can talk. And I hope that doesn't ever happen, because I'm a little bit of a chicken. <laughs> but we'll see when it comes to it. So that's all.
0: But the good news in all of that is, <laughs> When and if it does happen to us. And remember to pray for those who it is happening to in places like Nigeria and China and uh, Brazil even right now. There's some persecution going on. I mean, all over the world it's happening. Russia, the terrible place to try to be a Christian right now. Mm -hmm. These people are getting the same treatment that the prophets in the Old Testament received. Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Daniel being thrown into wells, um, and even Jesus. And their reward is great in heaven because God is pleased with them as they bring the kingdom of God. So let's pray for those people. And remember, we're not them right now. But if it ever happens to us, the God, God is with us. The Lord is with us. We have a cool, what, you had something? Oh, I'm
1: ready to read this. Oh,
0: she's ready to read this. I found
1: something I want to read to you. Uh, it's a modern day Beatitudes. So listen. So I imagine Jesus, I didn't write this, I wish I did. So I imagine Jesus standing among us, offering us some new beatitudes. Blessed are they who doubt, those who aren't sure, who could still be surprised. Blessed are they who are spiritually impoverished, and therefore not so certain about everything, that they no longer take in new information. Blessed are those who have nothing to offer. Blessed are the preschoolers who cut in line at communion. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You are of heaven and Jesus blesses you. Blessed are they for whom death is not an abstraction. Blessed are those who have buried their loved ones. For whom tears could fill an ocean. Blessed are they who have loved enough to know what loss feels like. Blessed are the mothers of the miscarried. Blessed are they who don't have the luxury of taking things for granted anymore. Blessed are they who can't fall apart because they have to keep it together for everyone else. Blessed are those who still aren't over it yet. Blessed are those who mourn. You are of heaven and Jesus blesses you. Blessed are those who no one else notices the kids who sit alone at middle school lunch tables, the laundry guys at the hospital, the sex workers, and the night shift street sweepers. Blessed are the forgotten. Blessed are the closeted. Blessed are the unemployed, the unimpressive, the underrepresented. Some of those are hard for me. Blessed are the teens who have to figure out ways to hide the new cuts on their arms, Blessed are the meek. You are of heaven and Jesus blesses you. Blessed are the wrongly accused, the ones who never catch a break, the ones for whom life is hard, for Jesus chose to surround himself with people like them. Blessed are the foster kids and special ed kids and every other kid who just wants to feel safe and loved. Blessed are those who make terrible business decisions for the sake of people. Blessed are the burned out social workers and the overworked teachers and the pro bono case takers. Blessed are the kind hearted football players and the fundraising trophy wives. Blessed are the kids who keep, the, blessed are the kids who step between the bullies and the weak. Blessed are they who hear that they are forgiven. Blessed is everyone who has ever forgiven me when I didn't deserve it. Blessed are the merciful, for they totally get it. We would like, in the last couple moments, for you to write a few of your own. Blessed are. So if you have, I guess, your phones, you can write it in your notes. Just write it out. Think it in your head. Blessed are. Take a few moments. We'll give you a few. Or if you have paper and pen, who would you include? Who do you see that other people don't see?
0: They taught us to wait till it was uncomfortable and then count to 10. Mm. So just a quick closing thought about all this. Um, last year, Heidi and I had the, I mean, it was a miracle privilege gift from God to be able to go to northern Arizona and hike to this place called The Wave. It's this rock formation, miles out in the desert, in the middle of nowhere. And uh, the Bureau of Land Management manages it. And so when we got the permit to go, they sent us this map But it wasn't a map, it was just pictures. it's like this set of pictures, like you're gonna walk and you see this, keep walking. You're gonna walk and you see this, keep walking. You're gonna walk and you see this, keep walking. And I realized as we were going through the Beatitudes, these different blessings, that what this is is a map in a way, but it's not the sort of map we want. It's not the map that says here's point A and here's point B and here's the trail between. It's the sort of map that says when you're walking and you see this, you're on the right way. When you're walking and you see that you've come to a space where you are so angry that you want to be mean to somebody and God prompts your heart toward mercy, you're walking in the way of Jesus. When you find yourself hungering and thirsting for righteousness and justice, you are walking in the way of Jesus. When you find that you've had this great loss and your heart and your soul is so empty and yet you mourn and you receive the comfort of the Holy Spirit, you are walking in the way of Jesus. This is a map. So as you go from this place, I pray that your eyes would be open to see the pictures as you walk through your day-to-day life. You are blessed, each one of you. The ones I thought of were blessed are the tradesmen, for they paint and do a really good job and give their very best, and it is an honor and glory to God. That was one of the ones I thought of. But you are each blessed in your own particular way. God is coming to you and birthing something new in you. And I pray that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. As we go from this place, we're going to sing the doxology, but we want to say the words over you. Jesus loves you, and that's why you were blessed in all of these spaces. The love of God is for you, and he is not against you. Hold to that truth as you go into the world looking for the signs of the ways of God. Would you stand with me and sing the doxology? (laughs) Praise God from whom all blessings flow.